Welcome to Wine and Murder Night, a podcast where two friends discuss and drink to their favorite cozy mysteries. I'm Carolyn Wilkie. And I'm Sabrina Marshhausen. You know what I did this weekend, Sabrina? No. Well, I do, because I'm... I, <laughs> because I follow you talk Instagram, about what we're going to talk about. <laughs> it would be more interesting if I said, no, why don't you tell me? <laughs> I went to the Renaissance Festival. Yes, Renaissance. Aren't they wonderful? They are. I honestly don't think I had been to a Ren Fair in probably 10 years. I think that's probably the last time I've been as well. Like, I, and I really love them. There's just something about being surrounded on all sides by people who are super into it. I love when people are unironically into things. Like, I'm so tired of, like, guilty pleasures and like shit like that i love hanging out playing D with my nerdy friends and listening to them talk about anime yeah exactly <laughs> no this offense is to literally them. what i do they're lovely <laughs> they're lovely guys being the only girl is really strange um having dated one of them um and then there's two married guys and then there's one guy whose house we always use and he's like a consummate bachelor <laughs> so it's but he's got the D and D table. Yeah, he's got an outdoor one, and sometimes we sit at the coffee table if it's too hot. But um, yes, yeah, nice. Actually, speaking of, uh, so my nephew—he's technically like my second cousin or something like that. He's my cousin's son, mm-hmm. but I always call him my nephew because it's basically what he is. Yeah. Uh, he, when I was in Cambodia, one of the things. Like, we had to take a really long, like, a three-hour car trip, mm-hmm. and he was getting kind of restless, and so I was like, hey, listen to this podcast with me, and the podcast was Critical Role, which I don't think you listen to. I don't. But have you heard of it? I can't listen to people play D&D. Like, okay. we were actually discussing this at the last D&D. We were like, we can't, we can't do it because, A, the, the, the player characters are always so, like, obnoxious, and we're like, you could have done, and then you're always like... Not criticizing the DM, but being like, okay, if I would like, so you're playing yes. along with them and I couldn't do it. I can't do it. Like, legitimately. See, I love them. I love them. Uh, Critical Role is a little bit rough to get into because it's very long and they get a little top bogged down sometimes. But um, this episode, they were fighting a dragon and I knew, you know, he'd like it. Even if their uh, their language is not usually what we would recommend sometimes for <laughs> a 10 year old. But, you know, he'd heard us all say the F word before, so I wasn't that worried about it. Yeah. And uh, so he really enjoyed that. And so then, like, while we were that, like, at this, like, resort placing, like, river resort, at, uh, we ended up playing D&D. And the first night, I DM'd, like, a short little adventure for him and my aunt and his mom. And then the second night, he wanted to be the DM. And it was really cute. So anyway... We get back here, and, like, the first thing he says to me it, when I saw him at 4th of July is, like, I want D&D for my birthday. Good. <laughs> so I got him. I'm getting him the starter kit um, and some cool dice, and hopefully we'll be able to play an adventure. Um, but, unfortunately, he leaves town pretty quick, and then we also have my grandparents coming into town, and my mom's birthday, all in the same weekend. Oh, nice. So it's going to be madness. Oh, of course it is. But yeah, Ren Fairs. I need to get a costume. 
Now, I would go... So, I would go uh, in a long skirt that I that was made for me for a friend of mine's wedding um she was she was Indian so I had a, the whole sari with it with an underskirt so I would use the underskirt which was this long yellow beautiful skirt for my Ren Faire costume and a uh-huh. corset and a corset was just a plain white one well it was a plain white one with embroidery it was very lovely um but a friend of mine made me a corset this beautiful red and black like satin satin with like uh the black was like this heavy cotton and it was beautiful and she made it to fit me but then um over the course of the year I lost immense amount of weight I must have lost 60 pounds or something just a ridiculous amount of weight and then when we were going to Renfair I realized that it didn't fit me anymore it, I was so slim that I could fit both my arms down the side oh. of the corset. So I had to wear my plain white one. Well, speaking of wearing white, <laughs> what are you drinking for this wedding episode? I am drinking a, uh, let's see, Fire Tree Pinot Grigio Sauvignon Blanc uh, blend. Um, it is 80% Pinot Grigio and 20% Sauvignon Blanc. And it is directly Indicazione Geografica Typica. It is directly from Italia. Nice. Yes. Uh, I'm drinking a wine I had never, I don't think I've ever even seen this before, but it was in the sales section at my tiny store, my tiny picked over store. And it's called The Novel. And it's a Spanish wine, so it's probably The Novel. But it's Cellar L Masroig and M M A S R O I G, which makes me think of Laproig, like you know the Scot Scottish pronunciation. Yeah. So I have no idea how to say it. <laughs> it's a 2015 red blend. Mm-hmm. It's Grenache, uh, Carignan, and Syrah. Just a teeny bit of Syrah. Primarily the other two. Oh, this is a 2018. I didn't even see the year. Yeah, I had to look for this one. Because the label, and this is why I'm like, this is bizarre. This is a bizarre wine. The label is like a close-up picture of like cured ham, like an Iberico ham. Yeah. It's just that print. Interesting. Mine has a golden tree on it. Yeah, that makes a little more sense. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really glad, though, I found this one because I would have had to, well, maybe I'll have to buy it for another time, so I won't spoil it, but... uh. Yeah, glad I found this one. I'm going to. Uh, <laughs> this one is an Aldi wine. Nice, nice. I think it was eight dollars. Very good. Well, you ready to get right into it? Of course I am. Today we're watching Death in Paradise, season one, episode two, Wicked Wedding Night. I don't even feel like they tried with that title. No, I don't think so either. But I don't think they generally try. <laughs> like it's the BBC. The content is good enough. We don't need no SEO. I know. No, of course it's the BBC. They already have. They have one built in. You're paying your TV license for the BBC. <laughs> like whatever. Uh, well, we start this episode much like we started the last episode with a beautiful panoramic island shot, just to make sure everybody's jealous. 
and we get to see a man coming out of the waves, very Daniel Craig, James Bond, except not nearly as attractive. And he gets onto the beach and he kisses a woman who's lying there and she's gushing about her ring, her engagement ring. And he kind of like looks at another beautiful woman who's walking by and she's like, uh-uh, you're mine now. <laughs> One vagina forever. <laughs> oh, that's a... Okay, so hen parties... A stag nights and hen parties. So hen parties usually revolve around, like, dick jokes. And I was watching, so... As most of my life does. I mean, really. So I follow this washed-up pop star from Iceland... And he plays absolutely fucking everywhere. It's ridiculous. And one of the things, <laughs> he played three stag night, uh, three hen parties in one night. And the last hen party, um, he played, they had an inflatable penis. And then if you clicked on the hashtag, there was also, th- and the theme was like, one dick forever. And it was like stamped on everything. And I was like, oh, well. <laughs> Yeah, if you put it that way. I love it. He's such a great singer and he's his Instagram just gives me joy. Like I just love following. He's really good looking. He's um he's got like What's the Instagram? What's the handle? Um Reimer78. Can you spell that for our listeners? Yes. H R E I M U R seventy eight. Please oh god. All these non Icelandic we are the me and my friend are the only two non-Icelandic people who follow him. So I'm sure that like until now, suddenly he's gonna get like 20 new followers and be like, "The fuck is happening?" Um, well, speaking of washed-up pop stars, uh, did you recognize the song playing? Uh, vaguely. I mean, it's not really a washed-up, but this it it's um, a song called "The Tide Is High" by Texas. Oh yeah. The I love this song. Yes. And I'm holding up. Anyway. Yeah, that one. But we cut directly from this cold open to a wedding on the beach and everyone's wearing white. Even the parents of the bride. I actually think it was, I actually loved it. I was like, yeah, this is good. Would you have a be- would you have a destination wedding? Yes. Actually, um my dream wedding is at the Blue Church in Sædisfjord in Iceland. So, I'm not familiar with that. I'll have to look up pictures. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful. It's a beautiful older church. Um I guess from the 1920s. It might even be older. Don't quote me on it. And um <laughs> there's a big huge rainbow crosswalk in front of it and there's a there's a fjord behind it like it's just it's just perfect and picturesque it's picturesque and I'm hoping that whoever falls in love with me will will also not mind spending all that money to go to Iceland well and also move with me to Iceland anyway so yeah you probably already be there get married and move to Iceland anyway. That's my dream. I my dream is- also need somebody who's willing to go along with me. Well, you know, so, <laughs> for my dream wedding. <laughs> so remember, we have a few more years until we're marrying each other. So, what are we Fair. gonna do? What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do here? 
We'd have a small ceremony in Iceland that's just like you and me and family, and then we'd have the big party ceremony in front of the shuttlecocks at the Nelson Atkins Art Gallery in Kansas City. Okay. <laughs> have you seen these shuttlecocks? They're amazing. Yes, They're like yes, just I have. Gi- I love. <laughs> I was like, this is very odd. I was like, okay. The Nelson Atkins Art Gallery is my favorite place in the entire world. Okay. And not only, I mean, obviously the lawn is where you'd have, like, the wedding and all of the stuff, which is where the shuttlecocks are, but there also is, like, a free... So, like, actually, a, I have a better idea. It's always free. American ceremony for our American friends and family in Kansas. Iceland ceremony mm-hmm. for all European and Asian ah, friends. Because... Perfect. We don't want... We, we can lower the expense that way. There we go. <laughs> perfect. Done. <laughs> Okay, fine. I'm well, into it. Well, we... <laughs> Same dress, though. I'm not buying two fucking dresses. No, two... No, no, like, no. Like, come the fuck Maybe... maybe but you know what? Honestly, I might do a different reception dress, but not like a wedding dress. Oh, but yeah. Like a cute, a definitely, definitely. Cute, like... Like, different reception dress. dress. Because we... The the Blue Church is only married, uh, open in July and August in Satis Fjord. Well, in so, Iceland, that's okay. Yeah. So... <laughs> Like, it would have to, like, I don't know. I've always wanted a May wedding, but I would totally just change the date. (laughs) We'd figure it out. Yeah. Well, as the wedding party is going on, we get to see D.I. Poole awkwardly making his way through the market and heading to um, the host, I guess, the host stand at this hotel and asking if he's too late for afternoon tea. And then pulling rank. And I would so pull rank for good tea. If I were a police officer in fucking Sweden and there is no good tea in Sweden. See, this is why I love Sweden because they're a fika con- their fika is drip coffee and there's nowhere else in Europe that does drip coffee. Very true. And I, I can't drink coffee. It makes me sick. But there is no fucking... So when I went to um, defend my thesis, the head of the department was like, would anyone like a cup of tea? And I was like, sure. Thinking he would bring the cream and the sugar. Nope. Nope. I had to drink sugarless fruit tea. Well... That doesn't sound so bad to me. I would, uh, so, I I mean, would pull on... rank for a proper cup of tea. <laughs> I really would. So, I mean, okay, granted, I've said a little bit of boo to this diet, which I need to actually get back strict on because today was very bad. But I'm not supposed, I've been supposed to be drinking decaf tea. Ooh. It's it's so bad, Sabrina. It's so bad. It's not. So you can drink rooibos. Uh, which I don't like rooibos. You don't like rooibos? What is wrong with you? I don't like tea. Tea's fine. Like, I, no, I'm, I'm sorry, so, but you I'm don't s- like rooibos? It's fine. Have you doctored it up with all the cream and sugar? I don't like that. I don't like that even my coffee. Like, I don't... Rooibos tastes so much better with cream and sugar, though. I mean, even the uh. South Africans will tell you that. Mmm... I know. Tea is fine. No. It's just, ugh. I'm such a coffee person. I drink a different tea every day. Five. I know. We've... Seven days a week. Uh, like, 
I've got, and they're all black teas, some variants of the black tea. But mm. the only thing I can say is I do have a licorice raspberry tea from Sweden. Blech. No, it tastes like chocolate raspberries. It doesn't taste uh, like licorice at all. I, it would absolutely taste like licorice to me. I'm very sensitive to it. Uh, probably. I'm not, I'm, I love licorice, so I'm one of those people that's like, yeah, okay. But it's very good. So that's one of the teas I drink and that, you know, oh, mm-hmm. I am a tea person. So absolutely, I, I am with Richard here. Like it was the one time, like he was kind of an asshole this episode. So it was like the one he time was. where I was like, I was, I'm, I'm very much a Camille in this episode. Oh yeah, I'm pro, but... I'm Team Camille. But when it comes to tea, but no, 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 not even Team Camille. Oh. I'm just like, I, I, I identified with her. Oh, yeah. a lot more. Yeah, because she goes, she basically finds Richard sitting at the Swank Hotel and then plops down right next to him and orders a big fancy cocktail. Yeah, fruit fruit cocktail. Yes. Yes. No, I that that's that afternoon. The sandwiches looked amazing. The 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 sweets looked amazing. All the the pastries looked amazing. Um. Yeah. I was like, yes, okay. I I wouldn't <laughs> mind company. Like, sure, please sit down. You know. But we learn from Camille that Richard, in fact, snuck away from work. And they, she basically starts in on the, like, listen, we're stuck with each other's speech. When her cocktail arrives, and they hear a scream, and we look up, and there's basically a white blob with a veil trailing behind, falling onto the rocks from up high. Then credits. They go, credits! It was a five minute and 18 second scene before credits. I mean, they got nothing on Good Omens, so... That's an incredible <laughs> cold open. But obviously, they go investigate right away, and of course, it is the bride with a rod sticking out of her stomach. And the new groom and the entire wedding party are basically sobbing. And we learn that the victim fell from the fifth floor, which is the VIP suites. He's like, okay, well, let's wait for forensics and everybody to get here. And she's like, no, no, no. We are forensics. And we see Dwayne and Fidel roll up. They go up to the fifth floor and are introduced to the floor's butler. Yes. <laughs> There's a butler for the floor. William. William is the butler for the floor, yes. You know, okay. I'm going to bring this up now, even though I made a note about it later. They have a maid who's later setting the dishes for the hotel. And I'm just like, why would a housekeeping be taking care of the restaurant unless the hotel was super understaffed? But the hotel can't be super understaffed if you have a butler for the whole, for the fifth floor specifically. (laughs) Like, I used to work in a fairly fancy resort. And I was back of house. And I will tell you what, by back of house, I mean a back of house restaurant. Yes. For anybody who's not familiar with those terms. The restaurant had their own staff. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no way housekeeping would be doing restaurant work. No way. That's true. Unless anyway, she just threw you know, me out of the mystery completely. They just didn't cast <laughs> enough people. That's what it is. They're being cheap. Yeah. 
It's the BBC. What the fuck do you expect? <laughs> they're already playing like thousands for the location shots, so they're like, okay. Fair. Well, uh, New Suits asks what the bride could have possibly been shot by, and Camila is kind of uh, sassy when she replies that it was clearly a spear gun. And he's like, well, where could they gotten it? And she was like, in the Caribbean? I know, right? Like, that's the fucking dumbest question. <laughs> like, we're on a fucking, like, tropical island. Where the fuck else are we going to? What the fuck, man? Uh, but we also learn that this room wasn't the bride's room. That one was empty and had just been cleaned. In fact, there's even a cleaning tag still on the thing. Which bothers Richard. Yes. The whole wedding party is staying on the same floor. And we also learned that the fire escape stairs are alarmed. So no one could have gone in or out that way. I actually, this was a really interesting, I thought, bit of writing. And it felt like it was very, and I don't mean to say formulaic because that that's a negative. But they were very clearly building the mystery to the formula of a mystery. Yeah. It was like they were layering on problem after problem and you could feel it building here. It was like, this is the foundation and here's the like this interesting is, bit. So Death in Paradise is is a cozy and it is, mm-hmm. a, it is not a, uh, sh- sure, let's say it's a formulaic cozy and this is a but I think this is what the BBC does very, very well. They put formulas that we are familiar with into places we might not be so familiar with. Like, here is Richard, who is out of his depth. He's a, he's a London copper, you know, and he's being put in the Caribbean. So, but the, the crimes that he has to solve are the exact same as a London, you know, as a typical mm-hmm. London crime. So, He's putting, and it's interesting, he's putting his own formula onto a just a different background. So I think that's what it is. And that's something the BBC does really well. I mean, it's the same story as, you know, any of the other shows that we've watched and that we talk about, basically. It's definitely... Yeah, I mean, I... I and that's not yes, a bad thing. more of what I'm talking about is the, present, the presentation of the clues, oh, right? Yeah. Or, like, the presentation of the facts. So, like, they're making, like, it starts with, the woman fell out of a window. Yes. But then it starts with, the woman fell out of a window in a room she shouldn't have been in. Yes. And then it start, comes with, the woman fell out of a window in a room she shouldn't have been in and shot was shot with a gun that shouldn't have been there. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it, it, they do a really good job of building. But, like, that's a story that could be in the Scottish Highlands, or it could be in sure. the Caribbean, or it could be, and that's what it, that's what works. Like, it's the same yes. story. The building is the same. It's just with different elements now different caribbean elements here's a woman who went on a destination wedding uh in a in these luxurious suites had the fucking bridal suite but was in a smaller suite like why was she there you know what the Mm -hmm. fuck is a spear gun doing up here yeah Mm -hmm. so it's the same it's the same thing it would be like seeing a 19th century saber gun in a, in right. a, you know, in a hostel in central London. Like, how the fuck did this get <laughs> Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, New Suits takes it upon himself to be a little bit rude 
And so Camille draws him aside and basically runs down her whole resume, which again, another neat little bit of writing to let us know who she is and what her background is and make the reviewer respect her at the same time that she demands respect from Richard. Then he kind of like backs off a little bit, but he's still himself. Yeah. They go down to visit the diving school because they think that's where the spear gun came from. Yes. And the diving instructor, Stefan... Is a five Australian actor. The only one with an Australian accent. Of course he is. What was he in? Miss Fish's Murder Mysteries. What? Season two, episode six. Vince Barlow. Yep. Nice. (laughs) So... Here is literally a five Australian actor. Like, I don't know what it is about islands or small countries like Denmark, but they just show up. They just show <laughs> up. There's only five of them. I'm surprised. Well, it's, you know, it's in, it's in the Caribbean and Australians tend to be, act- so Australians and Germans tend to pop up in the most unexpected places. Like, you'll just be, I, I know I'm going to go to Macedonia and just go shopping one day and like, there's going to be a German, like telling me what not to buy like right next to me and i will actually i am going to be that german i know i'm working as an american but i'm actually going to be that german in macedonia like my mother she was when she was young her family would caravan to yugoslavia what was yugoslavia you know Mm -hmm. uh, for holidays so like but yeah we germans tend to just show up in random fucking places as do the it Australians. Probably helps that you guys get uh, vacation. We yeah, we get thirty five days of vacation every year. So, like, yeah, God damn. Um, I know, right? So it's one of those like moments that. But Australians leave Australia because there's fucking nothing there. Like it's yeah, like once you've hit the major cities. Yeah, it's expensive. There's not a lot of opportunity. And it's just not great. So Australian children just leave because there's fucking nothing there. Germans like a sense of adventure. And we just we just go. <laughs> because we didn't get the colonization bug. I mean we did. Uh, we had colonies. True. We had colonies. And then just not like yeah. England and France had colonies. So didn't didn't colonize so good. No, no. Um we were mostly uh interested in all of Europe. Yeah, well, I mean, also, isn't Germany fairly landlocked? Uh, we have the North Sea. Yeah, a teeny tiny bit of the North Sea, right? Like, it's mostly landlocked. So we were very interested in all of Europe. <laughs> For other reasons. For other reasons. But, um, so, I, I know I'm going to be that German in Macedonia. I'm really excited about the fact that Macedonia is about to join the EU, and I can just imagine that my two years with the Peace Corps is, oh, you speak German? Fuck English. Teach me German, because I'm going to move to Germany when we join the EU. <sighs> Fingers crossed for you, babe. Yeah, thanks. Uh, well, Stefan is non-committal about the questions that they ask him, um, whether or not, like, what his inventory of the spear guns is like, and the booking forms for diving lessons. So they head to the manager's uh, office and watch the CCTV of the hotel's elevator. Again! For a luxury hotel, this elevator is so tiny. That tells me that uh, the, that hotel is old. 
It was probably one of the first <laughs> on the island. Yeah, so they had to. They probably had to squeeze in an elevator. It probably wasn't original to the building. Yeah, but also it tells me they didn't do a good job scouting location. Very true. Anyway, so they chose an old. Once again, the BBC is poor. <laughs> so they were like, "What is the old the the best looking hotel for the least money?" Ah, okay. Yep. So that's what it was. This one. Oh, does it have an elevator? Ooh, sort of. Uh, well, we learn that in the elevator, right after the wedding, as they were coming up to get changed, that the bride whispered something to the best man. And then a couple minutes later, we see the maid, uh, Margaret, leave the floor. Then they kind of fast forward to the time of death. And all of the bridal party, wedding party, cram themselves back into the elevator and head downstairs. Yes. Uh, New Suits, still kind of not understanding what Camille was saying, tries to give her desk duty to do a check on the family, and she just deftly passes it off to Fidel, which was pretty great. See, the French understand bureaucracy and hierarchy. You are not. She's a detective sergeant. She knows her spot. She's going to give it down. Of course she is. Mm-hmm. I love Camille so much. She's so pretty. Yeah, she is gorgeous. Uh, new suits and Camille head off then to interview the family. All right. So uh. now that they're all in the room. It is a five British actor bonanza. Cheerio, <laughs> back soon. I don't know somehow. I miss you. I love you. That's why I'm cheerio. Not goodbye. So we learn the mother, who is Frances Barber, who played Diana Watson. What has she been in? Father Brown, Midsummer Murders, Praro, The IT Crowd, and Marple. You know, I think I honestly recognize her from the IT crowd <laughs> versus anything else. <laughs> but I did recognize her. She was she was just one that I um I didn't get a chance to look up before we recorded. Okay. I have them all. Well, she was the bride's stepmom, not her real biological mother. Mm-hmm. And we learned that Sally Who is a five British actor. Who is? Uh Alice Henley. She was in Father Brown. And DCI Banks. She's one of those people who has, like, such wide-set eyes. Yeah, she's that, like, actually she, very unattractive. Like She always looks sad. Yeah, that too. And very wide-set eyes are off-putting to me. Like, I was Same. like, uh, not a fan. <laughs> uh, but we learned that Sally is actually the biological daughter of Diana. And uh, she is very upset and says that everyone is was in their rooms and we learn that um fuck what's his name boop, boop, boop. Darren is the only one who was actually able to get changed when they were saying they were going to get changed mm-hmm. that's the groom yes and Adam is his best man Adam a five British actor Luke Allen Gale He's been in a, so he's most famous for doing the voices for Final Fantasy video games, but huh. he was in Midsummer Murders and the English shit version of Wallander. I'm sorry, the Swedish version is so much better. I can't stand the English one. 
And but he was in the English shit version of Warlander. <laughs> uh, well, he gets another phone call that he has to take and heads out of the room. But no one seems. Oh, and there's also the dad who is a five British uh, actor. He was in Vera. He was Caradoc Singer in Midsummer Murders. I remember that episode specifically. And he's Kreister from the Game of Thrones. Oh. Uh, well, no one, including the dad, seems to know why she was in room 502, room that was not her room. But the dad does know that Lisa did, in fact, take a diving lesson. Meanwhile, Fidel, back at the station, tries to call London and completely forgot about the time difference. <laughs> he was like, it's 6 p.m., why? And then they hang up in his face. I, too, would do the exact same fucking thing. Like, I'm not even... I know. He's such an earnest, earnest boy, Fidel. Back at the hotel, they go... Um, New Suits and Camille go interview the maid, Margaret, who is, as I mentioned before, setting a goddamn table. Yes. Um, she says that she's the one who actually let Lisa into room 502, but... They don't let that mystery dangle for long. She thinks Lisa was meeting somebody there. She knows the look. Knows the look. So, at the station, given his lack of resources, New Suits busts out the whiteboard. And begins his means, motive, and opportunity board. Yes. And I particularly, I really enjoyed this scene, actually. I thought this was another really good Mm -hmm. character building kind of scene. Yeah, and I think, once again, this is something that is easy to do. It's cheap. Like, dialogue, for me, is one of those things that I can, if you, when you read anything I've ever written, I am very heavy on dialogue and very light on plot. Because, Me too! Be- Dialogue all the way! <laughs> because I don't have a visual imagination. Like, I actually, it's a, it, there's a, there's a name for people who lack visual imaginations. So setting up plot and setting up location is incredibly difficult for me. Which is why I don't mm. write fantasy. I write murder mysteries because I can do a shit ton of research. But so it's very like, so for me, dialogue is where everything gets built. And this is, it's an easy and cheap thing to do. Put your characters in a room and have them fucking talk to each other and their characters get built. Now. Mm -hmm. Well, I particularly loved the exchange of, I think it was, it was either Dwayne or Fidel. And I think it might've been Fidel, but he goes, what kind of person would kill a person minutes after marrying them? And D.I. Poole goes, uh... A murderer? Yeah. (laughs) I like that. I was like... I was like, there are a lot of murders happen this way. Murderers don't really care about the, you know, the celebration. (laughs) Pretty much. But he brings up a good point, D.I. Poole does, new suits, that she didn't have her cell phone on her when she died. So they figure out that she probably used the hotel phone to set up a meeting to contact the killer. Yes. And then New Suits tries to shame everybody into working late, and it doesn't really work. Uh, good on them. Fuck the man. Yeah, right. Um, Except it, but com- it does. We well, it kind of, it, it does. Yeah. We learn it do- does work, yeah. because 
Fidel's a people pleaser. Yeah. And Dwayne's a secret people pleaser. He just doesn't want you to know. <laughs> I love Dwayne. But Camille decides to take... Uh, new suits. New suits. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. On a little adventure. And as they're walking to the restaurant, she is talking about the case and she's like, well, it must be a crime of passion. And he's like, he's fixated on the label, the cleaning label. And she's like, oh, well, if it's not a crime of passion then the butler did it and he's still talking about the label and she's like, I just don't. Fine. Fine. Okay. We'll figure it out. <laughs> but she takes him to restaurant La Caz mm -hmm. where we get to meet Catherine, her mother. Catherine Bourdais. I have to, so he, he, she orders like a cocktail or a bottle or red wine or something and he is like, ah, tea. She's like pouring him a cup of tea and he's like, ah, she's French. Let me tell you. I have to, I actually wrote this down. Please tell story about French tea. <laughs> when I, this is the tea episode. Yeah, when I did, well, it is. He's like on the, he's on the hunt. Um, when I did my study abroad in France, <laughs> I lived in. I, Sorry, the modern British safari. Yes. Pour <laughs> a cup of tea. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Sorry, go ahead and mm. tell your story about French tea. When I was in... So she pulls it from a steel kettle, right? She mm -hmm. just pulls the tea from a steel kettle. When I was in France, the first time, when I did my study abroad in France, I lived with a French family who were... Um, who, instead of trading wedding rings, instead of wedding bands, they traded fucking family crests. Just to tell you what kind of family I was living with. Okay. They, he hunted. He had a hunting lodge. And, like, they fucking owned a villa somewhere where they went for Christmas. What? You're the poshest communist I've ever met. It's ridiculous. I didn't know. I didn't know. Well. They just, they were a host family that my university put me with. Mm hmm Like, and I was like, okay. <laughs> so, every morning, the mother, uh would make me tea. She drank tea too. They drank coffee as well. But um she made me tea and she would put it in a steel kettle with a uh with a what the fuck are those things called that you put over to keep it hot? A cozy. A cozy. Yes. And a cozy that she had made herself. And it was this very interesting black it was a black tea. It was straight black tea. And I would never put milk in it. I would always just put sugar in it because she had a sugar bowl out for me. And this is where I got into my habit of only putting brown sugar cubes in my tea. It's all her fault. <laughs> like, I can't put any other sugar cube in my tea except for that. And so... Um, Too bougie. I know. It's ridiculous because it's so expensive. But the reason why brown sugar cubes are less expensive in France is because they get them from Mauritania. Uh, Mauritius mm. and Madagascar. So, former French colonies, they still trade right. with them. So, the brown sugar cubes are standard in France. Anyway, and as soon as I, the very first time I saw this episode, I was transported back. But, here's the thing. For years, 
I was on the lookout for the, that tea she served me. She never told me what it was, and it just appeared on the table in the kitchen every morning. Like, with a cup. <laughs> like, I went to Cleveland in 2014 to visit a friend of mine who I've been friends with for, like, over half my life now. No, not really, but for, like, 12 years. So I finally go and visit her, and we're walking down the street, and there's a tea shop. And I go in, and I'm looking at, they have like hundreds of different teas, and I spy one that says French breakfast. And I'm like, holy shit, give me eight ounces of this fucking tea. I don't know what it tastes like. It smells like something. I bring it home, I put it in the pot, I drink it, and it's the tea. It's the tea from France. I have, I'm taking with me to Macedonia. Like, <laughs> 14 <laughs> ounces of French breakfast tea that I will only drink once a month. But I, as soon as I put it to my lips, you know, it was like the Madeleine from, yeah. uh, you know, from Kloost. It was like being transported there and I almost cried. Like, years and years and years later, Aww. I found this tea. Like, what? Eight years later, I found the tea. I love a story with a happy ending. So, seeing that steel kettle was like pushed in that I had to tell the story. Anyway, <laughs> the Beauregard's are amazing. Well, they wake up the next morning and New Suits is practicing barging into a room with a gun. Mm-hmm. With the spear gun, presumably. He's pantomiming yes and we get to the station fidel is asleep at the desk because he worked all night uh getting fingerprints from the hotel staff and iding all the fingerprints Mm -hmm. and we learn that the fingerprints on the spear gun were all stefan's yes and Please note, he had to do this manually. Yeah. Fidel deserves his props. Yes. So, New Suits and Camille head off to go talk to him, and they find out he had no alibi. But we do learn from the hotel manager that before she died, the bride called room 503, Mm. who happened to be... The best man. Adam Fess. So they go try to talk to him, and he's not giving anything up or whatever, and Camille exhibits some excellent instincts. And basically says she's going to walk away and tell on him. Mm -hmm. And then she counts it down and, "Uh, hang on, I was going to meet with her. But what they learn is not nearly as scandalous as it sounds. Adam was trying to borrow money from Lisa. But the reason he was trying to borrow from her, as opposed to anybody else, is that she was super duper loaded. But she didn't inherit until her wedding day. Um, So that puts a new motive on the board. So naturally, they head off to talk to Darren, who says that they did fight the night of before the wedding. And they fought over lending Adam the money because he's very bad with money. Yeah. Um, this is all at the table, the breakfast table for the, the 
bridal party. Mm -hmm. And Sally basically has a big old emo attack, which is literally what I called it in my notes. (laughs) But she does have a point. When someone dies unexpectedly and they're quite young, it becomes the center of everyone's world. Um, obviously, I can talk because Nathan is, like, the center of my world and has been for a very long time. Still is. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so it's one of those things that she did have a point. And I felt very, you know, she was probably, she probably felt very ignored and very, you know, put upon. Yeah. For good reason, and as we find out later. Yeah, exactly. And even, like, during the wedding, she was the one person who was kind of like, eh about it too like you got to see her face and it looked kind of unhappy but we also learn that the parents kind of insisted that there be a prenup Mm -hmm. and darren went ahead and signed it he wouldn't have inherited a thing so they get a copy of said prenup and it turns out or rather Darren didn't. Dar- it was the parents' idea because Darren's was known to sleep around. Yes. Um, but they get a copy of the prenup, and it turns out Lisa didn't sign. sign. She was like, "I'm not signing this, Darren." Bloody, bloody, blah. blah, blah. Uh, meanwhile, Diana freaks out and calls Darren a liar and a trickster and. All of this kind of thing, and it's a pretty... Like, I'm sure she's freaking out for a good reason, but also, I'm sure he didn't know she didn't fucking sign it. Like, Yeah, he says he didn't know that she didn't sign yeah. it. Like, it, it it very seemed genuine that no one knew that she didn't sign. Yeah. But, you never know. One never it is murder. Yeah. He's a very good uh, actor. He could be. Uh, we also learn um, on their little Stefan stakeout that Dwayne actually helped Fidel with all the fingerprinting, but he doesn't want any credit because he know as soon as they know you're willing to help, they keep asking. Hashtag, <laughs> oh my god, yes. So, <laughs> like... It's kind of a sexual hashtag there, girl. I know. <laughs> hashtag mood hashtag oh my god yes but only in a platonic way yes ah like and if you are in any way competent at all everyone depends on you even when you're not fucking there because you're sick or you're taking your mother to hospital or something Mm -hmm. everyone's like oh my god Mm -hmm. like yeah it's it's honestly like i really really love my job so let me preface that Mm. but like there are people at the company who will work super fucking late. And, like, I think it's gotten better because they've hired more staff recently Mm -hmm. in the, like, operate, like, in the roles that need to be more than one person's job. Like, when they hired me, like, it was, it cut the strain on my boss in half Mm -hmm. kind of deal, you know? But he still works super ridiculous hours sometimes. And, like, that was the company culture because it was a startup. And, like, I'm a person who... After working those kinds of hours in my, like, early career, nah, dude, <laughs> fuck that. Yeah. Like, if I can't get my work done in a 40-hour work week, then you're giving me too much work. Mm-hmm. Like, and and there are, I mean, obviously there are times when I don't mind, like, working a few extra hours. And we have a really generous vacation policy and I make use of it. But, like, no job should be more than 40 hours. 
And that's just kind of how I feel about no it. No job should be more than four days a week, but, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay, yes. I mean, like, oh, God, there was a really excellent tweet on... I can't remember what who said it. I can't... Uh, it went viral, so I apologize. I don't remember the name. But it was... There's really only two types of people. It's uh, on Twitter, the people who would love to work 20 hours a week and then spend the rest of their time doing something creative, or and the people who think they should be in the secret police. <laughs> Very true. Um, and it was like, I am definitely one of those, the, the former. I am a, I am a full day, like, I have been slowly but surely putting together my platform as the mayor of Reykjavik. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my platforms is for the entire fucking city a four day work week. I mean, I and it I is, so here's my it. here's my concept. Reykjavik is a city of 120 thousand people. That's okay. small enough to kind of work and trial a completely a, moving from a capitalist to a socialist society. Mm-hmm. It's small enough to do it because, and also there's a strong enough social cohesion in the Icelandic culture mm-hmm. that it would work. And I'm like, and there is a strong socialist party in Iceland. So, mm-hmm. all I have to do, all I have to do is learn enough Icelandic, which is not a problem. Um, learn enough Icelandic, <laughs> join the Socialist Party, run for city council, and be voted by because mayor is actually voted by city council. It's not a it's not a citywide thing, and have mm-hmm. the city council vote for me. All you have to that's do. all I have to do. And so, but I've been putting together like my platform slowly but surely, and like one of the things that I do socialism. True socialism is complete 100% democracy. So every council, let's say that you work for a restaurant. So you would have the restaurant council. And everybody in the restaurant council would vote for their day off a week. I'm also a proponent of four to six hour shifts. Except for Mm -hmm. police officers and medical workers. Because they obviously... You can't just stop in the middle of a surgery and, like, go on. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know... Well, I I think there's there's room to flex, right? There's there's definitely that. And, like... But what does a restaurant worker need with a 12-hour shift? Well, you also don't need a restaurant... If you have the... A right amount of staffing, even if you have a four-day work week, you can have the restaurant open seven days. Yes. So it's one of those moments, but it's also one of those moments where everyone is going to vote on the day of the week that's not, that you don't work. So let's say that everyone decides that they're off on a Thursday. That would I work. just don't think you can have, like, for instance, all pharmacies in a city shut down on a Thursday. Or all restaurants in the city. Well, there are also so there are commercial pharmacies and there are non-commercial pharmacies, ones that are attached to hospitals. And since hospitals are going to always be open, you can always access a pharmacy. So even if you aren't, yeah, you know, aren't going just, to the hospital, there's always going to be a pharmacy. Given that, given flexibility and staffing. I could see you. I don't think you need necessarily an entire industry. Well, shut down. S- for Sweden a day. did the six-hour work week for even for nurses, and you know, 
So they... Yeah, but nurses, again, like my comment earlier, you it with the correct amount of staffing, you can be open seven days yeah, a week. Yeah, unfortunately, the reason why I'm like, I have to do this in Iceland is because America is fucked up. And I well, yeah. really, 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 really don't have time to argue whether, you know, an embryo is viable as a human being like i don't have the time to argue for that and in iceland they just voted for 21 weeks abortion so i don't have the time or place to argue for that like i don't have the time and place to argue if gay people are human beings i don't have the time and place to iceland still has an immigration issue which we'll work on like slowly but surely yeah but like but like i don't have no place is perfect but some places are better than others like i don't have the time all place to argue whether black people deserve human rights. You know, I don't, like, Iceland has that shit figured out. What happens is that there's still a capitalist society and that needs to change. But they're already pretty clear on the civil rights issues, which apparently America can't fucking do. Yeah, dude. <sighs> I'm not going to get into it. No, I've just, no, I have completely- No, 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 I'm not disagreeing with yeah. you. I was going to bring up a separate rant, which I don't want to do because we're already at an hour of record time. Yeah, it's fine. But remember, <laughs> we'll be fine. We're not even at an hour yet. We're only at 55 minutes. You can I don't want to rant. Okay. I don't want to rant. I don't want to be angry for the rest of this episode. <laughs> That's true. But I'm just saying, <laughs> I just, I don't have the, I don't have the spoons. I don't have the inclination to have to fight for civil rights first. And then fight for cap against capitalism. Like, Dude. I just want to go to a place where I can just do the capitalism fight. In recognizing a communist, physical appearance counts for nothing. And, I feel you. And that's, I feel you. And that's Iceland. That would also be Sweden. That would. There were there were plenty of places that are not America where I can do that. Well. In not America, Sam Marie. <laughs> yes. They talk to the butler again, and William says he overheard Darren and Lisa argue about the maid. Mm-hmm. And they go talk to the dad, and they kind of figure out what's going on with Sally. Uh, they learn that he and Diana, and it was really her idea, paid off Sally's ex-fiance... Because they thought he was just after the family fortune, Lisa's fortune. And turns out he took the money and ran. And Sally has never forgiven them since. Yes. Back at the station, they are all discussing motives. And D.I. Poole gets extremely tetchy when they fuck up his personal marker. (laughs) When the hotel rings again. There's been another murder. Oh, no. So they head back over there, and it's Margaret the maid who has been strangled to death. Yeah. And they find another clue. I guess it's like a keychain or like a whistle thing? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Some weird shell-looking thing that he makes that links Stefan to this murder as well. Oh, no, he does carvings, wood carvings. Yeah. Because he talks about but how... they don't even look like anything. Yeah. Like, I'm used to a wood carving, like, this is a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> it may be bad, but I carved it, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Whatever, it doesn't look like anything. 
Like, apparently, did you see him, like, like he had them laid out on his diving station, like, people should buy them? Yes. It's like, who the fuck's gonna buy this? I guess some people. Yeah. But they learn from the manager that the reason um, that a complaint had been filed against Margaret by William was that she was rumored to use the cleaning in progress label to have secret assignations with people in the VIP suites. Yes. The romantic kind. The fucking kind. Yes. <laughs> and while they're examining the crime scene, New Suits is kind of like blinking in the sunlight because he doesn't know how to buy a pair of fucking sunglasses. And he's like waving his fingers over his face. And he has his aha moment. From there, they gather all the suspects and they have the big reveal. Dun, dun, dun. Where he accuses everyone and then finally gets to the actual murder. <laughs> um, but we learn that Adam and Sally were together and no one was talking about it because Sally didn't want him to get paid off again yep but he says only when you flip this case around does it make any sense yes it was the butler the whole time the butler did do it so we had to get that like we had to get that uh stereotype out of the way (laughs) episode two done and dusted yes no more butlers doing it turns out he was obsessed with margaret and if he couldn't have her, no one could. And he saw the cleaning label on the door of room 502 that Lisa had sprung into to meet Adam to give him a check. And he opened the door and kind of shot blindly with the spear gun because the light was too bright to notice the silhouette of a wedding dress. Mm. Um, but his whole thing was he was trying to frame Stefan, Margaret, who was uh, Margaret's boyfriend. Yes. And I thought Richard was quite kind and say sorry for your loss. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, he, I, I honestly, like, as rude as he has been throughout this whole episode, he was the one who was actually a little bit more circumspect because... William is stony-faced and not saying anything, and so Camille basically baits him yep. until he attacks her. And this is just like, well, I guess William just hates women. It's not just a Margaret issue. <laughs> like, yeah, that's it's, a, it's an anti-woman it. issue. Uh, and the button on the episode is that they're walking away from the hotel, and Camille's like, I solved the case. The butler did it. Yeah. And don't be grumpy. And she tries to get him to walk in the waves with her, take, you know, take off his shoes and walk in the waves, but he won't because he's a grumpy grump. And he is like, no, these reports won't write themselves. So he goes home and he starts typing up his reports. And what do you know? He gets the urge to walk in the waves and he steps on something. I can tell by your silence that you enjoyed it. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, you're telling the story. 
Well, Sabrina, did you figure it out? Yes. This one was particularly easy because as soon as you're like, the only fingerprints were Stefan's, you're like, well, there's a character who I've never seen out of his gloves. See, I didn't put that connection together. Ah. I I knew it wasn't Stefan. Like, I knew he was being set up, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. It's never the person whose fingerprints are all over the murder weapon. Yeah, of course. I don't remember who I thought did it. You know, actually, no. I thought, I am 100% sure I got this mixed up with a different episode of Death in Paradise. Oh, <laughs> sure, I'm sure. Because I am, I am... So convinced there is another wedding murder episode where the stepmom does it, and I, I think there's an episode where was... the the mother does it. Oh yeah, where the mom figure yes. did it, and I was I thought this was that episode. Yeah. So no, I did not figure it out, but I was led by my own red herring. <laughs> I think I watched that episode in Sweden. They had like an episode of Death in Paradise. <laughs> Like in Sweden while I was there and I was like, oh, it had Swedish subtitles, so it was nice. But like, <laughs> it was really weird. Nice. So I think that was actually the episode where the mother actually kills. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I did not figure it out. I did not. Yeah, so I think I fig- I think I had always figured it out. I've seen this episode now three times. I think I'd always been like, oh, it's William. Like, it's- but only up when they were like, oh, the only fingerprints was Stefan's. I was like, why would Stefan kill a woman he had only met once? Right. Like, like that's dumb. That's dumb as fuck. That may... <laughs> uh, so did you like this episode? I did! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I think on this next rewatch, I think I maybe like Death in Paradise more than I like Miss Fishes. Which is kind of depressing. <laughs> no. They're both really good shows. Yeah, they're like... both excellent shows. They're both really good shows. I really enjoyed this episode, too. I thought, um, I really enjoyed the writing. Mm-hmm. I thought the writing was clever. Yes. Um, I enjoyed, like we talked about, the layering of the clues. Yes. Um, and how, you know, you could pick the story beats. And I think, I think, I know for a fact on first watch through, I didn't find this. I didn't see this. And, but now that I've watched so many of these, yeah. and so carefully. Yeah. It's it's cool to be able to see the construction of a murder. Yes. And I really appreciated that at the end, during the big reveal, it was like, no, 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 we're going to take it and flip it upside down. Yeah. And, you know, um, have a deconstructed Sunday. Yeah. You know. Exactly. Kind of deal. Exactly. I, I, and I thought the characterization in this episode, which was clearly lacking in the pilot because it was a pilot. Yeah. Was really fun. Loved the Dwayne segments, even though we didn't get enough Dwayne, in yeah. my opinion. There was a scene where William and Camille share this like glance of "Look at this white guy." At the very beginning, when William wasn't mm-hmm. a suspect in anything, they were like, "Oh, it was after he opened the door and the fire alarm came on." Camille yes. and William looked at each other like white men. White people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But so, so that was that was fun. I always like that because there is an element of subversiveness, and it's there's no racial. What's weird is there's not usually. I don't think there's been any racial. I've seen almost all the Death in Paradise, and the BBC was very careful not to make anything super racist. 
Mm-hmm. But, like, there is still the, what the fuck did they send this white guy from England to do stuff that we could probably do, you know? I mean, shit, that's the motive for the first episode, yeah. right? Like, yeah, it's it's pretty explicit, yeah. right? Like, Yeah, but the... they're very careful not to make anything racist about it. And Richard's not racist. None of the DIs are racist. No. Like, so for all that Richard is rude, he's rude because he's rude. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very interesting that that's what makes it a cozy. Like, if this weren't a cozy, like, if this was a Scandi, like, noir, you wouldn't get a racist detective from mm-hmm. England who now has to deal with the fact that almost all of his suspects are white people. And have to deal with it. And all of his subordinates are black. Yeah. yeah. So you would. So if this. So turning it on his head, Richard's just a fish out of water because it's hot, and he's British. Not oh my god, it's hot, and I'm surrounded by black people. So I think I I really like that about Death in Paradise that he never took their blackness as a sign of inferiority. Although he might have. We don't really know Richard's, like, he might think Camille, I don't know if it's misogynist or is it racist at this point. Because he does treat her as a subordinate. She's a detective sergeant, but she's very good at her job. So it's one of those things that she just has to take an extra test to become detective in the place. So it's not, you know, so it's very interesting to see her, see him treat her kind of poorly, but not really know why. Right. And I think that, I mean, obviously, this is only seven episodes. Yeah. This is this is kind of a little bit of intentional yeah. character looseness yes. that we don't have firmed up yet. Yeah. But yeah, no, I thought I thought it was a good episode yeah, for that, for sure. sure. Yeah, and I think Death in Paradise in general doesn't, isn't racist. Although there are racist characters, obviously, but mm-hmm. like... For sure. But the D.I. is never racist. The D.I. is always respectful and always even though he might be ignorant of some racial things, is never racist, you know? You know, what's actually, I think the thing is more true about Richard, he's ruder, I think, because he's very rude to the French. Yes, I think he's- And I think he's a little bit more resentful of the French culture than anything else. I feel like that's probably the number one thing. And if you, like, when you talk to an English person- just like when you talk, I think this is where America fucking gets it, probably, is that, like, the English think their culture is synchronon. It's above all. It's the best of the best. It's handed down from Lord Jesus, you know? And mm-hmm. and so they are very xenophobic. Now, of course, there are racist British people, but I would I would argue that they're much more xenophobic than they're racist. Which is like I can see that for sure. Yeah. So, like the difference between xenophobia and racism is generally like if you're treating the people that are the same shade as you as shit, you're xenophobic, and you know. So, but the British are also racist. I'm not going to say they're not, but but I think Richards is mostly a xenophobe and French specific. French specifically, but (laughs) xenophobic probably in general. Well, last question. Did you like your wine? Well, I finished the glass. Um, it was okay. I don't like Pinot Grigio very much. I thought that's that, kind of how I feel about this. Is that it's okay? I thought the Sauvignon Blanc would help it. It, it did. It helped it more that I could that I could handle the Pinot Grigio. 
It's a bit sad. I don't really like Pinot Grigio either. I'm not a fan of the Grigio. But oh well. Uh, what would you give it out of nine? Six. I think I'm going to give this one a seven. It's drinkable. Don't bring it to a party. It's probably better with food. Yeah, it's drinkable and you could definitely cook with it. Like mine is definitely something you should definitely cook with. It would bring out a lot of the acidity or help with the acidity in some softer dishes. Um, This is definitely, this could be a very good cooking wine. And Yeah, I feel like if I was eating something meaty, Oh yeah, this would be better. Yeah, because it's quite it's quite dry. This would I help. feel like I'd... yeah, you could drink this with seafood. I would definitely drink this with all cook seafood with it. Um, making Alfredo. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, as usual, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Classlicity, and I'm at SDM Rights. And you can find our official Twitter at Wine Murder Night, uh, which is where we put all of our episodes up and. Well, we're not going to be voting on our next ep- next show to watch because we don't know if that's even going to be possible. Uh, we are probably going to do some special episodes if we can find some time. So follow us on Twitter to let to find out when those happen. Yes. And as always, we do appreciate lovely ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from these days since it's Ever. You can find a podcast fucking anywhere, and we are all of the places. Yes. And as always, we need to say what, Sabrina? Spasiba. Spasiba to Anton Koryakov, who wrote and performed Simple Life off the album Restart or Rest Art. We're not quite sure. We use that with Creative Commons Attribution License 3.0. So, thank you.